Well, the scripture this morning that we're going to look at, if you've been here at all the last two months, is going to be a familiar scripture. We're going to open to Acts chapter 2, verses 42 and verses 43. Hear these familiar words. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. The last uh, couple of months, we were working through a, a sermon series that we were calling Simple Church. And we were taking this passage from Acts chapter 2 and working our way through it, saying, what are the things that the, the early church did? Remember when, when Peter preached that sermon and 3,000 people came to, to Christ, they, they placed their hope in Christ, and and the disciples had a real quick decision to make. What are we going to do to help them grow to maturity? Well, they decided, let's just do the things that we saw Jesus doing. And, and so we worked our way through the passage. And, and last week I said we were done. And then this week I've been reflecting on that sermon series and looking back at the passage and, and recognized that I had an omission, that there was something that I just glossed right over. And what I glossed right over was this. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. So th the case that I've been making is that the disciples, they didn't decide to innovate some new strategy, some new way to, to grow disciples. They said, let's do the same things that we saw Jesus doing. And, and one of the things that we saw Jesus doing the Bible describes as signs and wonders. So, so let's do that. So signs and wonders is a very broad category. Included in signs and wonders are, are miracles like Jesus raising the dead and Jesus turning water to wine and Jesus walking on water and, and Jesus casting demons out of people. Those are all signs and wonders, signs of, of who he is, the Messiah, and and wonders of God's amazing power. Most of the signs and wonders, however, fall into one category, and that's the category of healing. The stories of Jesus' healing in the Gospels are just too numerous for us to ignore. One theologian has said that if you open a Gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and just turn to any page, there's a good chance you're going to see Jesus either eating with people or healing someone. That was such a, a significant part of what he did that, that over and over again we see him eating with people and we see him healing people. And so I tried that. I opened to, to Luke and I began to look just through the first few chapters. And you know how your Bible has, has headings, the... the um, the editors have gone in and just put headings over the, the topics to tell you what's coming. I was surprised at how many of them had the word healing in the heading. So, so Luke chapter 4, I have the heading that says, Jesus heals many. And then Luke chapter 5, Jesus heals the leper. Luke chapter 5, still, Jesus heals a paralytic. Luke chapter 6, Jesus heals a man with a shriveled hand. Luke chapter 7, Jesus raises the widow's son. Luke chapter 8, Jesus heals a demon-possessed man. Luke chapter 9, Jesus heals a boy with an evil spirit. 
over and over, chapter after chapter, Jesus is described healing people with all kinds of maladies. Some of those things were on the outside of their bodies. Some of those things were internal. They were spiritual. They were mental. They were emotional. They're spiritual. So here's the case that we're going to make today. Because healing people was one of Jesus' primary activities, and because Jesus said that whoever believes in him is going to do the same things that he did, we cannot ignore the ministry of healing. The church is called to the ministry of healing. Now, I know that that makes many of us uncomfortable. And, and I think on some level it makes me uncomfortable, uncomfortable, which is maybe why I glossed right over that part of Acts chapter 2, 42 through 47. So, so why? Let's examine our discomfort. What is it about healing that, that makes us uncomfortable? Well, maybe it's just the, the whole idea of the supernatural. Even as we say we believe in God and we believe in, in the things that we can't see, when it gets right down to it and we talk about things like healing, it just feels kind of like we almost have to, you know, just fracture our intellect to believe in that. It's a challenge to, to science, we might think. It's a challenge to reason. So, so maybe it's just on an intellectual level that we struggle with it. Or maybe, this is where I, I tend to fall, is that uh, we think of all the people that we have seen, maybe on our televisions, who engage in healing, and it all looks like a big con game. You know, and, and it seems like they tie healing with money. It's clear that these people are really after money, and, and they, you know, prance around on a stage, and they, they make a mockery of the name of Jesus. Just this morning, I woke up early, having my oatmeal, decided to turn on the television to see is there some sermon on that I might watch before I come to church, and, and some guy is on, and no kidding, I turn it on, and 10 seconds into it, uh, he makes the statement that, that I never get sick. I'm so in touch with the power of healing that I never get sick. And I said, oh, Lord, on the day that I'm preaching about healing, I've got to hear this jokester. This we have to acknowledge. Jesus engaged in the ministry of healing. And if we look at the early church, the early church engaged in the ministry of healing. And so we've got to conclude that, yes, we, the church today, are called to the ministry of healing, and I'm going to put an even finer point on it and say you, as a Christ follower, are called to the ministry of healing. Anyone who has faith in me, Jesus said, will do what I've been doing. Jesus said that in John chapter 14. So, so maybe you think, well, isn't healing a spiritual gift? And I don't have the spiritual gift of healing, so really that's not something that, that I should do. And I want to say that that's a misconception. Yes, healing is a spiritual gift. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we have a long list of spiritual gifts. Let me just read to you a few. Now to each one, Paul writes, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of that same spirit. To another, faith by the same spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one spirit. 
And Paul continues with a whole list of other gifts. And so let's examine some of these other gifts. To one person is given the gift of faith. Does that mean the rest of us who haven't been given the gift of faith don't have to exercise faith? To one is given the gift of wisdom. Does that mean the rest of us get to check out? We don't need to exercise discernment? To one is given the gift of knowledge. Does that mean the rest of us don't need to, to pour over the, the scriptures and, and fill our minds with the truth? So if it's a true about these other gifts, the gifts of generosity, somebody is given the gift of the generosity, does that mean the rest of us just get to hoard away and we don't have to give? If that's true about these other gifts, then when it comes to healing, we've got to say the same thing. Yes, there are some people who, who God has given this unique gift of healing to. Now, I don't think that means that they can just heal at will, you know, heal whoever they want. I think what that means is that God uses these people more frequently than the rest of us to exercise this gift of healing, that, that God is the healer and he often works through these people. But that doesn't mean the rest of us are not called to the ministry of healing. So let's turn our attention to Jesus. Early in his ministry, he, he goes into the wilderness, he's tempted for 40 days, comes out of the wilderness, goes to his hometown, Nazareth, decides to go to the synagogue, and, and we read this in chapter, Luke chapter 4, verse 17, the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to Jesus. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, the Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of everyone were fixed on him. And he began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So let's just listen to a few of those things. Good news to the poor. Freedom for prisoners. Recovery of sight for the blind. To release the oppressed and to proclaim freedom. If you had to use one word to sum up all of those things, I don't know if the better word would be the word salvation or the word healing. So let me ask, did Jesus come to bring salvation or did Jesus come to bring healing? And I think the answer to that question is yes. Jesus came to bring salvation and Jesus came to to bring healing. And I think what we are often guilty of doing is taking this word salvation and just gutting it of all of its substance. We, when we think of salvation in the most limited terms of just meaning that this person is now going to go to heaven because they've been forgiven of our sins, please don't hear me saying underestimating that. Uh, but when we only think of salvation in those terms, we're gutting salvation of all of its substance. So, so our logic is often this. Uh, what good does it do us if we feed a hungry person if we don't tell them the message of Jesus? 
And just to say it in the crudest of ways, what good does it do them if they go to hell with full stomachs? I mean, how do you argue with that logic? Like, that's really good logic. But when you look at the scripture, Jesus actually raises a different question. Jesus says this, what good is it if you call yourself Christian and you say, oh, Lord, Lord, and yet you don't feed the hungry and you don't invite the stranger in and you don't take care of the sick and you don't take care of the homeless. You see, it's not one or the other. Salvation, healing, they go together. Jesus' ministry was one of salvation and healing. And so if we are going to do the things that Jesus did, he only did a few things, and he did them over and over again. We need to be proclaiming the good news of salvation in Jesus' name. And we need to be engaged in the ministry of healing. I was reading Isaiah this past week, and I came across a chapter that I found so good and so compelling. It's a bit long, but I, I don't want to cut anything out. Uh, this is Isaiah 58, and what God is doing is he's speaking to Isaiah, and he's going to say, Isaiah, I want you to confront my people, confront Israel, because they've been complaining about a few things, and, and we need to set them straight. So, so listen to this scripture from Isaiah 58. God says to Isaiah, shout it aloud, don't hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their rebellion and to the house of Jacob their sin. Now listen to what his accusation is. For day after day they seek me out. Sounds good. They seem eager to know my ways as if they're a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of its gods. They ask me for just decisions and they seem eager for God to come near them. Why have we fasted, they say, and you've not seen it, God? Why have we humbled ourselves and you've not noticed? These all sound like pretty good things so far, right? These are a people who want to, they seem to want to know God. They're eager to know him. They're fasting. They're trying to draw near to God. And you've not noticed. Why have we humbled ourselves? Yet, God says, on the day of your fasting, you do as you please. You exploit your workers, your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast I've chosen? Only a day for a man to humble himself? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying on a sackcloth and ash? Is that what you call a fast? A day acceptable to the Lord? And now he's going to tell them, this is what I desire. Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? To loosen the chains of injustice, to untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free, and to break every yoke. Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor with shelter? When you see the naked, to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. Then, do those things. Then, your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your guard. 
Then you will call, the Lord will answer, you will cry for help, he will say, here I am. If you do away with the yoke of oppression and with the pointing finger and with the malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves on behalf of the hungry and in the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness, your night will become like noonday. The Lord will guide you always he will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and he'll strengthen your frame. And now here is my favorite part. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. You will be called the repairer of broken walls and the restorer of streets with dwellings. You will be called the repairer of broken walls. Friends, we live in a world that because of sin is broken. And every single one of us has tasted that. Every one of us has experienced that. And all of the neighbors that you live by, everyone in our community knows that brokenness, which means every one of us is in need of healing in some way, in some fashion or another. And God has called us not to be the ignorer of broken walls, but the restorer of broken walls. Wouldn't it be amazing if we were a church that was a well-watered garden? You think about a, a garden. The purpose of a garden is not for its, for its own self. A garden produces vegetation. It produces fruits. It produces vegetables for others. That's our job, to be a well-watered gardener, to be a spring whose waters never fail, to be a repairer of broken walls, a restorer of streets with dwellings. I want to close with a, a story that um, Mark talks about. Jesus was in the Sabbath one day. Uh, he was in the synagogue on the Sabbath one day, and there was a man there with a shriveled hand. And so Jesus is in the synagogue. There's the man with the shriveled hand, and also present are some Pharisees. And by this time, they're not very happy with Jesus. They're looking for a way to, to trap him and accuse him. And so they see Jesus, and they know he has the ability to heal. They've seen it. They've heard it. They see the man with the shriveled hand, and they're saying, Aha, he's going to want to heal him. But it's the Sabbath today, and we shouldn't do any work on the Sabbath. And so they're just looking for an opportunity to accuse him. Jesus knows what they're thinking, and yes, he sees the man with the shriveled hand, and he kind of becomes frustrated. And so he raises the question, looks at the Pharisees and says, tell me, is it right on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil? And they look back at him and they say, nothing. And he becomes angry at their stubborn hearts. And so he turns to the man with the shriveled hand and he heals his hand. And from that day forward, the Pharisees start to look for a way to kill Jesus. So I want to just think about that, that impulse that Jesus has to heal. It is in Jesus' heart to heal. Jesus is the repairer of broken walls. He longs to fix what is broken. That's what salvation is. It's fixing all the things that are broken in this world. And he gets frustrated when, when his people don't make room for that to happen. 
And sometimes it's our religion and it's our tradition. Those words we said break down our walls of all of our religion and tradition. There's something inside of me that says, wait a second, I don't know if I want to break down those walls. That's what it's talking about. When it's actually our religion that gets in the way, our expectations of what's right and what's wrong. Jesus has the heart of a healer and he wants to work through us. We're not the healer. Our job is not to heal anybody. I don't have that. You don't have that. Anyone who has the gift of healing doesn't have that. The, the way we bring healing is bringing the healer into a situation, inviting Jesus, the healer, into a situation. So a prayer for healing might be no more complex than Jesus. You know what's broken here. We invite you to come into this situation and work. Really at the heart of, of this question of healing is the, is the question, do we believe that Jesus is good at his job? Do we trust him enough to, to think, you know, Jesus can, can work in this situation? And so we're going to invite him into the situation and trust. It's his prerogative. If he's going to heal, how he's going to heal, that's up to him. But he wants us to invite him into the situation. So may we be like a well-watered garden, a spring whose waters never fail. May we be known as the repairer of broken walls. Join me as we pray. Lord, we thank you that uh, you are the repairer of broken walls. Lord, you're at work repairing our own lives. And Lord, uh, you long to use us um, to be your hands and feet in this world. And so, Lord... Uh, I pray, one, that you would open our eyes, but I also pray that you'd give us the courage to, to take initiative uh, and where there is need that we might uh, be bold to, to reach out. Lord, we thank you that you are uh, the great healer and our, our hope is in you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.